Did you get it? Man, that's, that's good. I didn't know how well that would translate verbally because it, it makes more sense when you're reading it, but a typo. Typo, rabbit, not a rabbi. A pastor, by the way, these were my jokes that I had for Pastor Appreciation Sunday last week. I just decided to keep these two for this week. But a pastor was giving the kids' message for, during a church meeting one Sunday morning. For this part of the meeting, he would gather all the children around him and give a brief lesson before the main message. On this particular Sunday, he was using squirrels for an object lesson on industry and preparation. He started out by saying, I'm going to describe something, and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. The children nodded eagerly. This thing lives in trees. It eats nuts. No hands went up. And it's gray and has a long, bushy tail. The children were looking at each other, but still no hands raised. And it jumps from branch to branch and chatters and flips its tails when it's excited. Finally, one little boy tentatively raised his hand. The pastor breathed a sigh of relief and called on him. Well, said the boy, I know the answer must be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Okay, so for your announcements this week, just a couple. Uh, this Wednesday, a very exciting uh, opportunity to have the Laskowskis family with us, missionaries to Lithuania. We've been looking forward to this for, for several weeks, so make sure that you're here with us, if you can be, to hear from the Laskowskis this Wednesday evening. A little longer range, uh, Tuesday, December 6th, uh, Tuesday evening here at the church building, from 6.30 to 7.30, CEF will be hosting a Christmas club. Um, all Raleigh County students in elementary schools will be invited. There may be other churches involved. No idea if we're going to have zero or 500 at this point, I guess. But um, if you are interested in helping with that or participating in that, please talk with Bob directly, and we'll have more details as the day draws closer. Also, just want to remind you, we do have uh, an exciting announcement this morning that we'll be following our message. So when Jason's finished, uh, just sit tight for a minute, okay? If you will, stand with me for the reading of our scripture for today. From the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Thank you. You may be seated. We probably don't have to say it, but yeah, we're not covering all that today. We're just going to get through verse 16, but the context is good to be read all together there. Uh, Let me pray. Holy God, you have revealed yourself to us. You have inspired men to write words that were breathed out from your very breath. And from eternity past into eternity future, those words echo and resound and redound to the praise of your glory. Help us this morning, God, with our feeble little minds and the omnipotent power of your spirit to comprehend the height and the depth and the length and the breadth and the love of Christ, which surpasses understanding. What we read, what we hear, and may it lead to what we do today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We could just stay here all day as far as this verse. There's so much here. But as we do embark on digging into this passage, as is so often the case, our first word makes some background necessary. All scripture is contained within a context. And what's our first word today? Therefore. And when you see the word therefore, you have to ask what? What's it there for? And that word therefore is always pointing back to what was said before it. And what was said before this? Well, we spent three weeks looking at verses 3 to 12, which was loaded and pressed down and shaken together and running over. And the main theme of what those verses covered was the greatness of what God has done in His saving work in and for us. I'm going to reread those verses because it does set the context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, let me back up there for a second. Let me use my handy-dandy marking pen thing. Note that this salvation that he's talking about is to be revealed in the last time. That's going to be very important for what we do here today. Okay, In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, and here's another big phrase, revelation of Jesus Christ. End times, end of time, revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And note note the word outcome. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore... So all of that is what our therefore is there for today. And man, if you just spent, I'm not being facetious or hyperbolic here, if you just spent a month or two meditating on what is spoken in verses 3 to 12, you would be the better for it, as would I. Not if you did it. I don't guess I'd be better if you did it. I'd be better if I did it. That's what I'm trying to say. Because there's so much, it's magnificent. And so now, Peter turns from all of that magnificence and wonder and marvel to, so then what? Well, therefore, Peter says, preparing your, well, let me not, let me, let me do it this way. Therefore, skip the preparing and being sober minded, set your hope fully. On the grace that will be brought to you when? Look at there. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, we'll get back to. Okay? Uh, We'll get back to that. Because they are, they're participles, they are ways to do what Peter says is the main thing to be done. It's like if I told you, um, go grab a pen and get some paper because we're going to write a letter. What's the main thing going on here? Not grabbing the pen, not grabbing the paper, but writing the letter. In order to write the letter, I need the pen and the paper. Okay? So that's important to note here. The writing of the letter is action. The pen and the paper are how you're going to do it. So since verses 3 to 12 are there in all their glory... Showing God's gracious saving and keeping work, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in here. We had said before that suffering and trials are a major theme in Peter's letters, and that's true. But so is this. So is the hope that we have of a future that is guaranteed to be free from suffering that is guaranteed that we will be free from sin and sins and that is guaranteed to be more glorious than we can think or imagine. It's that future hope that carries us through the present hardships. 
Do not miss that in these letters. Actually, it's very hard to miss it because it's so prevalent. So Peter moves from telling of all that God has done to what we are to do. And you're probably going, oh, okay, now you're going to give me the list, right? Stay with me. God caused us to be born again to a living hope. God is keeping our inheritance for us and keeping us for our inheritance. And from here in verse 13 through the first verses of chapter 2, we're going to see commands, imperatives. Instead of talking about what has been done to us and for us, we're going to be looking at things that we are to do, telling how we are to respond to what God has done. And make sure you get that last part. What we are to do is in response To what God has done. God initiates and we respond. God gives and we thank. God blesses and we give Him glory. We glorify Him. And so, no, what you're not going to see is a burdensome list of things we have to do to make God happy. Listen, God is happy. God is happy with you. God is well pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. God is as pleased with you as He is with Jesus. Because you have been placed in Christ. So, how now shall we live in light of that truth? What are we to do in response to what God has done? No, it's not a litany of shoulds if you want to measure ups. God has saved you. God is keeping you. God has prepared everything in eternity future and it is sure to be yours. Therefore, set your hope fully on that coming grace. It's not about straightening up and flying right out of obligation or fear. It's about knowing who God is and what He's done and lovingly conforming to His desires for your life. I mean, how much of a slog is it to set your hope on future grace? Is that hard? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll slap some to-dos on you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll break your back with commands. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus said, is easy, and my burden is light. Set your hope fully on that, grace. It's a joy. It's a freedom. It's a celebration. Even when we are grieved by various trials. It's like an oasis in the desert. A rest stop on a long journey. And let's look at the full phrase. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow! Set your hope fully. And that set your hope is one Greek word, elpizo. And we've said many times over the years, this is not an I hope it happens kind of hope. But rather, it's I have hope because it's certain to happen. 
And that's an important distinction. Peter's not telling his readers to cross their fingers and hold on because things just might work out. Instead, he has spent the first part of the letter showing how completely things have been worked out. Again, from eternity past all the way into eternity future. And so, rest in that. Draw your strength from that. Set your hope fully on that. Completely, to the top, with no accommodations for any other possibility. It is impossible for things not to work out. It's impossible for God to fail. Set your hope on that. There is no other possibility for your future if you are in Christ. All your hope is here. And it's on what? And check this out. All your hope is to be set on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now note, he doesn't say put all your hope on the grace that has saved you in the past. Put all your eggs in this safe deposit basket. Hope in the truth of the fact that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Amen? Jesus is coming again. And the scripture says that every eye will see him. He will be revealed. The word is apocalypsis. It means the veil will be torn back and unveiling. Jesus is seen by everybody for who he truly is, which is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So place your hope fully on what? On that he's coming again? Yeah, that's in there. But when he's coming, he's bringing grace with him. Now hold on. Jesus is bringing grace with him. We already received grace, right? Do I need more grace? You bet you do. Jesus is bringing grace with him. Jesus is bringing grace for you. Jesus is bringing grace for his people. And plenty of it. He's given you plenty already, but there's coming a time... When he is coming, and he's bringing even more, an even greater grace with him. Our faith will turn to sight, and we will be, get a hold of this, finally and fully redeemed, receiving the grace we had not yet experienced in our earthly struggles. Anybody free from the power of sin right now? You're not. It lives in your flesh. Jesus took away our sins. Praise God. And doggone it if he didn't leave sin in here. But there's coming a time when he's bringing a grace that takes even that sin away. Oh, what a day. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We will be finally and fully redeemed. Paul paints this picture in Romans 8. I'll just read it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is what we're talking about. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, there's that word, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, 
that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, amen, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But, 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 if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And Peter is saying in our passage today to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't see it now, but we live in the truth of it and we wait for it with patience. Set your hope fully on the certainty of this hope that Paul's talking about. Hope set fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back and when he comes back, he will set the whole creation free. Death, hell, sin will be thrown into the lake of fire and all of creation will be set free, including us, with a grace that we have never known. He will bring that grace to us. His revelation, His second advent will usher in, listen, an eternity of grace for His people that is as sure as His salvation was in the past. Set your hope fully on that. And remember there are two participles here. We, we kind of jumped over to get to this hope. Two descriptions of how to do that, how to set your hope fully on that grace that is to be revealed. And these two phrases, uh, before the command to set your hope, explain how we can do that. Those phrases, those participles are preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So that's there to help us know how to set that hope on that future coming grace. Let's look at the first one. Preparing your minds for action. Now watch this. The your in that phrase is its own word. Your. And it means your. There you go. You're welcome. And the rest of that phrase, preparing minds for action, is one Greek word. Dianoia. Dianoia. The literal rending, rendering of preparing minds for action is to prepare to think hard or gird up the loins of the mind. That helps, right? (laughs) The Bible source lexicon defines it as, quote, to put oneself into a ready state for strenuous thinking conceived of as girding up the mind for action. Now just quickly, girding up the mind, in those days they were robes most of the time, an outer garment, and they would gird up for action. They'd take that bottom of that robe and they'd kind of tie it up and they'd put it in their sash so that they could move. God telling the Israelites, eat it with your staff in your hand and your robes ready to run, basically. So that's what gird up your mind's phrase. It's like, be ready in a moment's instant. That's the girding up of the minds. But to put oneself into a ready state for strenuous thinking. In order to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus comes back, we have to prepare our minds to think hard. 
We have to put ourselves in a steady state for strenuous thinking. I think if there is any plague that is destroying the modern day Christian church, it's an inability to think. Or lazy thinking. Just being carried along by the lazy river of the cultural tide. Letting new people give a new information or fresh revelations of things that people have never heard before and just be driven along by these winds of doctrine that are wrong. We have got to be those who are in a ready state for strenuous thinking. In order to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus comes back, we have to prepare our minds to think hard. How do we fix our hope on the coming grace? We think hard. We're strenuous in our thinking. And then the second way is in the second phrase, which is, and being sober-minded. You see a theme of the mind here? Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. To be sober-minded means to have control of your mind in order to control yourself. People say all the time, I can't help what I think about. Well, God have mercy on you if you can't help what... Or better yet, if you're not helping what you're thinking about. You have to direct your mind. Don't let your mind direct you. You're not a victim of your mind. Something else we need to hear. Which begs the question, how are you doing with your mind? Are you sober-minded? Do you have control of your mind in order to control yourself? What do you think about? If all of your thoughts were written down on a piece of paper and you read them at the end of the day, what would they say? Green tree. Pretty clouds. I doubt it's that simple. Our minds are so incredibly active. And unfortunately like unbridled horses more often than not. Where do your thoughts lead you? What do your thoughts lead you to do? Now let me ask you this question. Listen. Are you, Christian, strenuously... Self-controlledly directing your mind to think rightly and truthfully about your past, present, and future. Strenuously. When's the last time you thought really hard? Maybe you do the wordle every day. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not enough. According to what God has said... Are you guiding your mind along those paths according to the Word of God, according to the full counsel of God? And is your mind guided and formed by the things of God, or is your mind in lockstep with the philosophies and hypnotic nature of the culture around you? How is your mind? Because your mind is going to direct your hope. Your mind will either drive you to hope or to hopelessness. 
And the proper response to God's salvation is to have a hope for the future that motivates you to live rightly in the present age. Any passage come to mind that we memorized last year here? Titus 2, 11 to 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Are you thinking this way? Are you, in your thinking, renouncing ungodliness? No, ungodliness, I will not think that. Are you renouncing worldly passions? No, world, I don't want that. Are you, in your thinking, self-controlled, upright, and godly? If somebody else was invited into your mind, what would they see? Are you, in your thinking, strenuously bent on the appearing of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is your thinking characterized by things like these? This is very convicting to me. Where is my mind most of the time? It's not on the coming glory. It's not on the coming grace. It's not on the appearing of Christ. It's about what am I going to eat for lunch today? What can I do that I like? What can I enjoy today? Nothing wrong with liking things and enjoying things. God gave us all things to enjoy, the Scripture says. But am I seeing my enjoyment through the scriptural lens or just me? Do I watch the news? Oh, there's an election coming up. Oh, goodness, this is, this is the end-all, be-all of all elections. And if I remember correctly, I'm 48. Every election that I've ever seen is the end-all, be-all of every election. This is the most important one of my lifetime. And what if the votes don't go the way that I think they should? Oh, woe is us. We're in trouble. Oh, woe is us. This is the end of our culture. And it might be. But is is that where my mind goes? To hopelessness? They won? Or we won? How about Jesus is coming? And he's going to set all things right. And that's what my hope is built on. How are you thinking? Are you strenuously bent on the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Where is my mind most of the time? What am I thinking about? Is it anywhere close to setting my hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ? I mean, really. And if you're not doing this, you're a really bad person. Just like me. The battle for hope, listen, is fought primarily in the mind. Don't miss that. And if our minds are set and strenuously working to propel us to hope, well then guess what comes after that? Verse 14 tells us, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Hmm. Okay. So God in the past saved us in a marvelous way and secured our future, which we are to set our hope fully in by soberly girding our minds for action. Well, what 
what action does that sober mind lead to? Well, it's really pretty simple, actually. We are to proceed as obedient children. I love this. And parents, don't think about your disobedient children here. Think about your obedient children. And don't divide them into camps, by the way. (laughs) This passage here, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not just jumping into what we are to do, but how we are to do it. We've set our hope, we've girded our sober minds, and now we live as obedient children. It's literally saying that we are the children of obedience. Like obedience is our parentage. On Wednesday in our look at the book session, Ephesians said that we all by nature are children of wrath and we're the sons of disobedience. Well, once we're born again, guess what? We're not the sons of disobedience anymore. In our adoption, obedience takes the parental place. Our heritage, our DNA, our very blood is obedience. And we are now children of obedience. We're old man obedience's kids. And as obedient children, we are told, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, don't miss this either. Look at this. We've latched onto hope. We've done the mental work. We've understood our parentage, and now he addresses our passions. That's your emotions, your desires. Well, I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. God has given life to our spirits in the new birth. He placed the Holy Spirit within us. He has called us for purposeful, strenuous thinking. And now on His inside-out journey to our obedience, He calls us to reign in our emotions, our passions. The word passions refers to our desire. desire. (laughs) Lord of mercy. Let me try that again. The word passions refers to our desires, our cravings. And the connotation is that these are bad or evil, these ones in particular. Not all of them, but these are. Peter calls them the passions of your former ignorance. In our unregenerate state, we are, all of us, every human being ever, driven by our passions, our desires. And without the power and restraint of the Holy Spirit, we have no choice but to follow our fleshly appetites. That's why Peter says it's our former ignorance and says that we should no longer be conformed to the passions that used to drive us. To be conformed means to be fashioned, just whittled away. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 too when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Same word there. It's only two times in the New Testament that word conformed is used. Romans 12 too, and here in our passage today, 1 Peter 1, 14. It means to be forced into a mold, conformed does, shaped and fashioned according to a certain pattern. And Peter's saying, don't let your passions look like they used to look. Don't be sculpted, fashioned, or formed by those things that used to dominate and drive you. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now don't miss the fact that Peter isn't saying that those passions go away or disappear. Quite the opposite actually. He's saying these believers are not to be conformed to them as they present themselves. 
The call is to not let yourself be pressed into the mold of your old passions. Don't fall into the rut of your old habits, your old actions, those things that used to dominate and direct you. As your parentage has made obedience possible, make the choices necessary to rein in your passions and not let them control you since you now have a choice and an option to or not to. I can choose obedience because I'm a child of obedience. I can buffet my body and make it my slave because I have the Holy Spirit of God within me. So our spirits, enlivened by grace and hope, our minds strenuously focused on that hope, and our passions, our emotions controlled. Now we do verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Like there it is, there's the hammer. This is what makes me a jerk right here. This is why I'm a bad person. This is why God can't love me. Here we see the model, the motivation, and the mechanics of our practical living, our conduct. This verse speaks of all of your conduct. Conduct is your manner of life, your behavior, what you do. And in contrast with being conformed to our former passions... We see that he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Well, no, okay, no big deal. I'll do that, right? <laughs> That's pretty exhaustive, isn't it? All your conduct. Let's take a little trip back to yesterday. Anything you did yesterday that wasn't holy? Yes, is the answer. Actually, no. There's a lot of things you did yesterday that weren't holy. Why? We've got to figure out what holy means first of all. All your conduct. We'll get back to all your conduct in a few. But first, look at the why of all this. As he who called you is holy. Of course, the reference to the he here is to God himself. Our Father is the model. Our God is the example. And he is holy. Now, what does that old too familiar word mean? Holy means a lot, okay? The Greek word is hagios. And the definition is having the characteristics of moral or ritual purity. So really the simplest definition is purity, for sure. But I really think that undersells the word holy. Lots of things can be pure in a lot of different ways. We talked about pure gold back in our earlier passage in 1 Peter. But this purity, this holiness, is also used as a descriptor of God Himself. The angels circling the throne in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 declared that God is holy, holy, holy. Do you think it's good enough to say that God is pure, pure, pure? He is, but seems a little flat to me. So then what does it mean that God is holy? Well... Another explanation, a common explanation of holiness is that it means to be set apart for God. When Moses received the instructions for the priests and the utensils for use in the temple worship, those priests and those utensils down to their underwear were to be set apart for their use there only. It was the setting apart that made these priests and those utensils holy. So let's take that for a second. Holy means set apart for use and worship to God. Okay, that makes good sense. 
But does that work for God being holy? Is God set apart for worship of God? Yes. I prefer, personally, to say it this way. God is set apart for God. And I think that sums it up pretty well. Why does God do what He does? The catechismic answer is for His own glory. Let me give you just a few references here of biblical evidence for this truth that God does what He does for His glory. God is set apart for God. Isaiah 48, For my name's sake... I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. That's the very words of God. So are these. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And then the ever-familiar doxology from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him, parenthesis, alone, be glory forever. Amen. These three short passages are just a very small sampling of the prevailing truth of the inspired Word of God. If there is a question of why God does anything, the simplest, clearest answer is always for His glory. Why did He make Leviathan? Why did He make Behemoth? For His own glory. So God exists for His own glory. God creates for His glory. God saves for His glory. And God's glory is God's primary focus. So God is set apart for God. God is holy. Now, bring all this back to our first Peter passage today. Let me go back here. That's a lot of scripture, you But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all of your conduct. Since, because it says that like God is holy, set apart for God, set apart for God's glory, we are to be holy in all of our conduct. So what does that mean? It means that our conduct is to be pure in every way all the time. But all of our conduct is also to be set apart for God. All of our conduct is to be done for the glory of God. All of it. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, not conform to our former passions... 
ignorant of the plan or purposes of God, but fueled by hope, mind girded for action, and all of our conduct conducted on purpose, and that purpose is the glory of God. And why? Our last verse for today tells us why. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Since. We are to make all of our conduct holy like the one who called us since. This is not just Peter pulling some arbitrary thought out of the air or putting links together of a chain and coming to a conclusion. No, he can say it with authority since it is written. There's that phrase. It is written infers that the Holy Scripture say something. Jesus said it when the devil tempted him. He responded to each temptation with it is written. And I'd say that Peter had heard that story and remembered Jesus' proneness to say it in his dealings with both his disciples and those he ministered to and those he blistered with his theology. Filleting the Pharisees. That needs to be a song or an album or something. Filleting the Pharisees. And Jesus would fillet the Pharisees with that phrase in his dealings with them over and over and over. So, to use that phrase here, Peter is mimicking his master which is incredibly appropriate in this context because the call to conduct ourselves in a holy manner as the one who calls us as holy is written in the Scriptures which say, You shall be holy, God says, for I am holy. Jesus quoted this in His Sermon on the Mount. And the original place it was written was in Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. It's like the end of it goes, oh, what? What? what you the context again. But this is the original reference to this, um, to this thought pattern of you be holy for I'm holy. It's also said in Leviticus 19.2, Leviticus 27, Leviticus 20.26, 20, and Leviticus 21.18, and Exodus 19.6. It is written a few times to say the least. God had always called His people to be holy like He was holy. The plan was always for God's people to live like He would live if He were here in a body. And of course, when Jesus showed up on the scene and inhabited a human body, He showed what that looked like perfectly. And man, was He different than anything the world had ever seen? Yeah, He was. Remember, I don't remember when it was, it's been a while ago, when we went through the holiness of God, the R.C. Sproul study on Wednesday nights. Sproul says this, When we are called to be holy, we are called to be different. We're called to bear witness to the style that one finds in God. A style driven by the second meaning of holiness, which is righteousness. When God says, be holy for I am holy, He is saying, be different from the normal standards of this world. I want you to express and show what righteousness is in this land. This is the task of the Christian, Sproul says, to mirror and reflect the character of God to a dying world. And I think that's it, right? Holy, different, righteous, pure, set apart for God. That's how our conduct is supposed to be. And Peter knew that and he shared it because the Bible told him so. (laughs) And he tells us so as well. And notice again... The inside-out nature of this. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's in our spirit. So gird up your minds for action. Harness your emotions and your desires. And so conduct yourself in a way that is holy. If it's not from the inside out, it's external righteousness. 
and that will never work. If you happen to do all right with that, it's just going to make you arrogant and prideful. But you're not really doing it, by the way. But if it's from the grace that has been provided to you through the very presence of the Holy Spirit Himself, and you're strenuously thinking about it, and you've set your hope fully on the grace that's come, and you're managing your emotions based on the hope that you have and the thoughts that you're thinking, you're going to do the things that you're supposed to do. And actually, I hate that phrase, supposed to do. You're going to do those things that God desires for you to do, to show His glory. And that's the desire. To show his glory. And before we get out of this passage and into application, I I want to dip a toe in a different mindset for the statement, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God spoke that to the Israelites as a command, for sure. But you know what? I think it's also a promise. It's not just a demanding deity making impossible standards for his poor, miserable subjects. Because that would be awful. That would not be gracious to say the least. And that's not God. Now he did give the law to show the impossibility of sinful man to keep it. But it was not out of cruelty. It was out of love and a desire to show grace at the fullness of time. And so with that, I also think this phrase, you shall be holy as I am holy, is God giving hope. Remember that word from earlier? God giving hope to His people that this holiness was not just an impossible demand, but listen, a promise to be kept by a faithful Redeemer who would take the sins of His people away and who would also, at the culmination of all things, take the sin away and free them from its power forever, making them holy as He is holy. So it's not just do this, it's God saying, I'm going to do this. And that's really good news. Yeah, set your hope fully on that. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So let's take a look at application. We're done with P's for a while. Today we're looking at three H's. Three monosyllabic H's. Nope, I'm wrong. Doggone it. Two monosyllables and one two-syllable. Hope, holy, him. H-O-P-E, H-O-L-Y, H-I-M. Hope, holy, him. First application point is hope. This passage is pregnant with hope. What is hope? We said that it is a certainty, not a desire that might possibly come true. Hope is for the future what faith is from the past. I have faith in the things that have happened, and I have that same type of thing now called hope for what will happen in the future. How's your hope? Church, is it a, oh, I hope it works out, or is it a hope based on the truth that you know it is going to work out? Because God, who cannot lie, God, who cannot fail, has held out this hope to us and said, I give you this as a gift. Set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As certain as the return of Jesus Christ is this hope that this grace will be brought to you when he comes. Oh man. Anybody know anybody that's in a hopeless situation right now? Man, there's not much more devastating than to lose your hope. That's a big mental health word. Mental and emotional health word. Of feelings of hopelessness. Because hopelessness leads to purposelessness. Purposeless means i got no reason to be here. Ugh. You ever been there? That nasty feeling in the pit of your stomach. I'm, i got no hope. There's nothing that the future can bring for me except hardship, pain, struggling, suffering, and ultimate death. But brothers and sisters, that's not the way of the Christian. That's not the fate. That's not the path of those who have been born again to a living hope. Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. And sufferings, trials, struggles lead to endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. You don't get to hope on the fast train. You don't get to hope on the easy road. Hope comes as we struggle and suffer through the various trials that we're grieved by and we look to the future knowing that it is secure as we set our minds on the things that we should be setting our minds on. You don't just wake up with hope one day, even though it's there and it's held out as an offer for us. It's produced in us and that hope that's produced in us by trials and endurance and character does not put us to shame. Do you have hope today? Hebrews 6, 17 to 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope, listen, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone. As a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where is our hope? Our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. So set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when he is revealed. Hope. Second is holy. Can't get through this passage and not mention holiness. God is holy and God calls us to be holy in all of our conduct. Now again, this is not about condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is about hope. 
that I can walk in a manner that is called holy. That my conduct can be holy. And yes, I will fail. I will fall. I will jump straight into sin sometimes. And that's not holy. But I have another choice. I don't have to be dictated to by my former passions, my ignorance, my passions from the past. I can look and say, I choose holiness. God is holy. I mentioned Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. That's very kind of, Sitting upon a throne. Sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, get a picture of the holiness of God. And desire it for yourself. And you know what? It starts in your mind. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, Romans 12, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Holiness has to be fought for right here. Are you concerned with holiness in your thoughts? Have you girded up the loins of your mind? Are you set for strenuous thinking as you seek to be holy like He is holy. Because if you're not thinking it, you're not going to do it. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The fight for holiness is fault or one in your mind, not in your hands. Not in your eyes. Here's the battle. And you'll see the outcome of it depending on what happens in there. That's biblical. God is holy, you be holy. And the battle for holiness is fought primarily in your mind. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the last application point. Hope, holy, Him. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. can't help but say it goodness gracious it's not about trying harder to do better it's not about checking boxes it's not about what you should do it's about who he is who he is our hope is in a holy God All of this is for Him, and therefore all of this has to be through Him. Say it all the time. I'm sure of this, Paul says to the Philippians, that He who began a good work in you will drop it in your lap and hope you don't spill it by the time you get to glory. Well, shoot. I spilt it. Now it's all over my car. I am sure of this, that he, I'm going to do it. 
He who began a good work in you. Oh my. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about hope. That's hope. I didn't realize that that it goes way up here. I didn't realize it didn't go way up there. If your hope is in you trying to do what God's called you to do, I'm sorry. If your hope is in Him doing what you can't do, glory be to God. God, I'm not holy in all my conduct. I know you're not. And I want you to be. Okay? So, where do we go from here? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because he's bringing it with him. And until then, in the meantime, set your mind fully on me, on my word. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let my word wash your mind clean and work and conduct yourselves according to who I am and what I have said. And trust in the power of my Holy Spirit to do what you can't do. And when you falter, when you fail, when you dive head in, head first into sin... Bring it to me. Because there's no condemnation anymore. And I have washed you clean, and I will wash you clean, and one day you're going to be completely clean. We use this a lot, and we'll use it in a minute. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Dad, gum it. He will surely do it. You want holiness in your life? He can surely do it. One day He will surely do it, but I bring it to Him and I let my mind be transformed and renewed by the things of Him. Why? Because how unsearchable are His judgments? How inscrutable are His ways? Who's known His mind? Who's been His counselor? Or who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You want holiness? Trust in him. Ask him to help you do what you can't do yourselves. Because it's for his glory, he's going to give you his very power to help accomplish it, even in your life. That's why I love that song that I sang when I was standing right there, that y'all sang when we were singing it. Lord, you are glorious and victorious in my life. Not just seated on a throne somewhere, far above, yet within it all, Jesus reigns. Oh Lord, you are glorious, victorious, King on high. Oh Lord, you are glorious and victorious in my life. At work tomorrow, at home this afternoon, when the Astros win the stinking World Series... Jesus Christ is glorious and victorious in my life. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. You shall be holy, God said, for I am holy.
Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's not enough, but it's all we got. Father, help us to be a people who has set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May we be a people who gird up our minds for action, who are set for strenuous thinking. May we be a people who say no to our former desires and passions. And may we be a people who conduct ourselves in all of our conduct in a holy way that brings you glory. And God, if there be anybody here, then the sound of my voice that doesn't know the hope that the new birth brings, Holy Spirit, speak life. Convict them of their sins and show them the ultimate glory that belongs to Jesus Christ who came and died to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And if they'll place their faith in him, I'm a sinner, Jesus, you can save me and forgive my sins. God, they will be born again to a living hope in him. Have your way. Thank you. We praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Stay seated. I need my elders and my deacons up here. And be like, ooh, it's the good thing. Bar fight. Again. (laughs) 